Hello, welcome to episode number 216 of the Apple Log Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere. You can talk with a licensed professional therapist online today. And you can get a seven-day trial when you, use the, when you use the code word Apolog when you go to betterhelp.com slash Apolog. Get therapied up, everybody. We all need it from time to time. We'd like to thank everybody for shopping on Amazon, supporting the show. Thank you, Amazon shoppers. You too can support the show by going to appalock.ca slash Amazon or appalock.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it by the old-fashioned way too, by going to appalock.ca and locate your country located on the right side, whether you're from Canada, United States, or the UK. Bookmark those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. Like to thank everybody for supporting the show on Patreon. You can become a patron too by going to patreon.com slash Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. You can buy a t-shirt by going to appalog.ca slash shop. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. And like this show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have a dear old friend, Mr. Mike Indovina. Mike has written a book. And it's called Mixing Mindset. He is now an author, best-selling author on Amazon. And he's also a record producer, and he's a drummer, and he's a swell dude. And uh, we got this other project we're working on together that probably, hopefully, will come out one day soon. Here is Mr. Mike Indovina on the Apple Up Podcast. Welcome to the show, Mr. Indovina. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. It's, it's, ni- it's, it's nice to be on your show. I know. Instead of you being on mine. I know. And that was a while ago now, right? That's almost yeah, it was, over a year ago. Yeah, it was definitely over a year ago because I, I moved in that time. And I've been at my new place for over a year. So, New house or new studio? Uh, new condo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We moved to Burlington. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's far away. It's not as far as it seems. Right. If you if you time it right, yeah, like it's it takes me less time to go to my studio still in Toronto than it does to like like north of Toronto than than going downtown where I used to live. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess so like, I guess that would make sense. But if you're leaving at two in the morning, it's a different drive too. Well, it, like highway. for me, like during rush hour, like it would take me like an hour to get to my place. But in like normal traffic, yeah. I can get there in like twenty five minutes. I just drove because my wife just bought a new car. And she picked it up at Finch and uh, down by uh, Finch and Keel. So I did the drive I'd done for ten years driving to York University. And oh my god, that sucked! I was like, drive. <laughs> it was like, what? We're not there yet. This is insane, insane. I can't believe I used to drive that like every day. Drove yeah. crazy. Traffic's bad now, man. Yeah, it seemed even worse when you're like, oh, I don't want to work. <laughs> I don't want to work there. <laughs> that makes time go so much slower. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so you've had your studio now for gosh, it's been when have you been in that space over in the west side or? I've been there for I want to say I've been there for like 4 years now. Yeah. 4 or 5 years. 
and yeah, and it's so you moved in with a guy who already had a space, so you kind of moved into the B room, the smaller room. Is yeah, that still the same situation. Still same situation. Uh, there's talks about moving the studio down the road a little bit um, to like a bigger and nicer kind of custom made place, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that's such a frightening, daunting thing when you want to upscale. Or you want to up 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 everything a little bit? It gets like very frightening. My buddy Tom just he bought a a church and put his studio in it. Yeah, and it's like Taurus Sound actually, and uh, and it is a beautiful place. But my God, the nut you have to make just to be able to stay comfortable. Well, so like I've been really out of the conversation with this whole new mm-hmm. building thing, yeah. but um, the guys that own the the main studio. They're the ones leading this. And um, so they found an acoustical company that makes like acoustic treatment or something. And they basically have this like massive warehouse that they're not using. So they basically have said like, hey, you guys can have this and we'll build it to whatever specs you want. And like, I guess they want to use it as like a showroom maybe or something like that. I guess so. so, Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do that. (laughs) You're going to build a room to like what I want. That's awesome. I'll take it. (laughs) Wow. That's insane. So yeah. someone's designing it or are they designing it? I think they're designing it. Like I like I said, like I've been really out of the conversation and, and like things could drastically change, but yeah. Um it'd be awesome if it does happen because I've seen the blueprints and it does look pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever I mean, like have you ever thought of I mean, cause you use the other the other rooms for tracking too, right? Because it has uh, yeah. what do they got there for a console now? Uh now there is a Studer D nine fifty. Yeah. So pretty. Kick-ass. It used to be an old. It used to be like some old uh, European board. I can't remember what it was. Uh, I want to. It wasn't soundtracks. I can't remember what it was. But um, yeah, now they have the studer there, and it's massive, and it sounds wicked. Is that dude still down in the basement in the other studio? He is. He is. That's yeah. a neat place. He's not doing too much recording there though these days. He's uh, mainly just renting it out for rehearsals. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat because well, I I haven't been in the studio business for. I'm going to say 15 years. Like everything I've been doing has been subsidiary or just something other than working. So mm-hmm. the fact that to to be able to keep working in a recording in this climate, it seems so daunting and scary. And and you've been doing it a while. So is it getting easier to to, to, to find work, work just to work? Uh, it. I don't know. Like I. I think I'm just getting better with my process of like finding bands and like just being more on top of like uh, communication with people. That's like one of the big things I really learned this year that I, I used to just like do everything by memory mm-hmm. and it was a bitch because I'd always forget about this band that I talked to six months ago that said, Hey, we're thinking of recording in six months. And then like I'd lose the project because six months later I'd forget about it and never reach out to them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so this last year I really made, a big push to just like get on top of things a lot better. And like, I got this um, like customer relations management software that honestly has been like the biggest lifesaver for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, so like every day I get like a reminder on my phone, like get in touch with this person, get in touch with this person, oh, like really? pull up their profile. I have like, it's like a database of everybody I've talked to and like all the conversations we've had and all the emails we've had and all that stuff. And it's been enormous because like it keeps me on top of things. Yeah. And every now and then, like, I'll remember, like, it'll be something like, oh, I talked to this band a year ago, and, and now they're finally ready. So, you know, it's, it's, it's 
been pretty good. <laughs> they, they must find it weird. Like, get back in touch with me in four months, and you wait for like 120 days. Yeah. And you call it. It's been four months. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. You ready? Let's go. Yeah. No yeah. one ever calls me on it, but <laughs> but it but it works. <laughs> yeah. I you know, you know, I, I commend I commend people that 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 are self starters, you know. You know, I'm a self starter myself. But it it's a very difficult um it's a very difficult process to try to keep that rolling to the business where first of all you gotta like cause my big problem was I would take all the work and not do good jobs because I had too much work. And then mm-hmm. I'd be so broke because I didn't have work that I would just start recording everybody and everything. So it always was this sort of like vicious circle of shit. And then it would always sort of be a lot of polishing of shit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then then I say, well, I got to make rent. And then so I like just, I felt that the art part of it, I just didn't get to that part until I got another job where I could actually go, oh, I want to make art with people because the money part of it isn't as important anymore mm-hmm. and and that's that's for a person that makes money in the recording studio business that must that it's go, kind of goes against what every recording engineer ever wants to do you know i think it also just has to do with like like i've become really process oriented in the last couple of years and like really breaking things down and trying to like like i literally have like a, a checklist program that like i go through all the time with stuff just to like make sure i'm following things in the same order every time because i just find that like uh when i work kind of at like whenever i'm motivated or like just kind of like whatever catches my attention it mm-hmm. just takes me so much longer to do things uh because i just get scatterbrained right yeah. and so i find that just like by, by being on top of things and having like just a refined process of kind of realizing like okay this works this takes me this takes me too long like i can outsource this thing or whatever like yeah that that just helps drastically Hmm. Yeah. I mean, being too busy is not necessarily a good thing, too. I mean, if you take a For lot sure. of work and it all comes at you at once, you need to be able to manage that in in a way. I mean, so there must be a time when a band X comes to you and say, "I want to record with you," and you have five bands already ready to go. You have to sort of say, "Well, can you wait?" Because I never said mm-hmm. that. I never did that. I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Come in by tomorrow. We'll squeeze you in." And it would, you know what I mean? And it would it'd be all toss a coin whether or not it sounded good or not. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and and because I was my own boss, I would sort of be constantly trying to do. I was always torn between business and and the recording part of it. It's very difficult. For sure, it's definitely a balance. Like you know, you want to just keep in the studio as much as you can, but there is definitely a business that you have to run along with it. Yeah, you know, and and you have to realize that like it's kind of like what you're saying. Like if you if you overwork yourself, you'll start to lose your lose the quality of your work, mm-hmm. and so you have to like space yourself out. And yeah. you know, I, I book bands months in advance now just because if they want to work with me, they're gonna want to work with me no matter what, right? Yeah. And so. I'd like to think that most bands I'm recording aren't pushing their release date to like the week of being in the studio, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, and I, and I find that, and I tell bands that all the time too. It's like, okay, well, when are you thinking of releasing and like, what are you planning on doing with these songs? And, and more and more, I find that people these days are starting to get into this kind of release schedule of like, we want to build up some content around the songs and like make videos and release like one song at a time. Or, you know, that's becoming more and more popular as opposed to just like, we're going to finish in the studio and record or release 10 songs all at once. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's the industry shifting. So yeah, I, I, you know, I try to make sure that I'm on top of it for my customers as well. And yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, keeping the, I mean, what you were saying was interesting too, because if somebody wants to come in and just record two songs and then come back later and record two songs, the big fault 20 years ago was how do we get that sound back? 
But now I got this little computer here that remembers everything that I did. So when yeah. you come back, all I need to do is make sure the drums are somewhat close. And, and I so rarely work with outboard gear. Like yeah. I, I track through it and I take pictures at the end of the session and make sure I've got all that recalled. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, like my mixes are all in the box and I can recall those settings really easily. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, like I, I always track bass through the same sans amp that i've got yeah so i know what i can get out of that and i know the settings and the mics i use for drums are almost always the same in the same room and so there are certain like things that are always there that are super consistent and i know how to work with them yeah well you know i i had a bunch of upboard gear too not necessarily good upboard gear but i realized i couldn't i if i for me it just became too weird like that's i got a console i got a, an m32r because it was just like there's just more in there. It's more compact. It does more. And the other thing I noticed too, and I don't know if this is like just me being weird about it, but especially with the quality of gear that I had is if I ran a snare through this one channel and a kick through another channel, it would always there would be something weird. It would be like something's not jiving here or something's not, it just sounded strange. So I was compensating in the box to fix a problem that my outboard gear had. The one thing about having everything go through the same input stage is that it's getting, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's getting crunched in a similar fashion, especially with drums, you know, like everything, like 12 channels of drums can all come in at the same time and somewhat get put on tape similarly. Mm -hmm. It seemed like if I ran my kick drum through this one preamp and then my snare through a different, it was like, ugh, not yeah. working out. Well, and just like, with the technology, like I use an Apollo as my interface and, um, and like I have an outboard distressor and I now have the UAD distressor and I compare them and they're almost identical to each yeah. other. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I, I use it less and less with yeah. my outboard because like, I might as well just keep it and it's recalled and I just open my session. It's there, you know? Yeah. When I had my, uh, I just realized I unplugged my computer in when I had my old, um, are you recording it at least? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. You know, I didn't plug the power in. I'm like, why is it going to uh, sleep? Okay. Um, no, when I, when I had, uh, when I, where I worked before we had an SSL AWS 900, which was a kick ass board. They still, still, you want to buy when they're like fifty grand. Yeah, and and uh, and I it had the uh, this this the bus the bus compressor, mm -hmm. and uh, I just got the Waves plugin with the same thing, and I I AB'd the two, and like in a Pepsi taste challenge, I could not hear the difference. <laughs> it could not, couldn't hear it, it. It's true, man. I I have one of those, uh, you know, that brand Stam Audio. Mm -hmm. So I have one of their SSL emulations, and. Uh, Honestly, I like. I think I've used it maybe five times in like the three years I've owned it. Just because like the waves one often does the trick. Yeah. You know, it sounds super close and it's recallable and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You know, you know when the uh, you know when the plugin's good when you plug it in, you first bring it up and it changes the tone. And you haven't done anything to it yet. Like yeah. all those EQ, those API waves API plugins are just like. You just put the EQ on, like, oh my god, it actually just sounds better. I haven't done anything yet. It's like that's how I feel. Are you? You don't use the UAD stuff, do you? No, no, I got all the waves stuff. They have uh, UAD has the the Shadow Hills mastering compressor. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do with that thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. I just put it on, and it just makes it sound so much better. Yeah, and yeah. and there's like a little, um, you can change the transformer on it. Like, there's mm -hmm. like a 
few different types and just like flicking between that just alone makes a huge difference but yeah. like i don't compress with it i don't do anything yeah the uh the other one i've been uh messing the other business which has the worst name but the best plugins in my opinion is mcdsp it has yeah. the <laughs> worst like how <laughs> How could you someone we're gonna call this company kind of like McDonald's, McDSP. <laughs> it's gonna be great. But I just got their uh they're like got a five hundred series style um where you can put your own gain channel, your grain structure in. And that's kick ass. I mean, it's some of it's kind of fluff, but when you get the right combination going, you're like, oh my god, these EQs are so beautiful, just great sounding. Mm-hmm. I uh, I hope anybody listening to this isn't gonna hear anything about, you know, uh uh politics or anything. This is gonna be strictly a nerd fast yeah this is a gear nerd talking sounds tones (laughs) switch off now and come back next week when i record some other some washed up musician from the 90s (laughs) no no i'm just kidding there's no washed up i'm just a washed up musician i'm a washed up musician from the 90s that's me that's me i'll interview myself um um yeah i yeah so i I, well, the reason I kind of t- contacted you is because you've done something that I think would be incredibly fun and challenging and cool. You wrote a book. And sure did. <laughs> I, I, I think writing a book as a, a being a tutorial is, is crazy because you actually have to rely on a lot of facts. You know what I mean? There's certain things. Like there's a philosophy involved with what you're mm-hmm. doing, writing a book basically on mi- mixing and, and recording techniques. Techniques is the operative word there. If you mm-hmm. want to write a biography on some dude, that's super subjective. You can write whatever you want. Mine doesn't always have to be correct. I mean, you're right. But when yeah, you're yeah. writing a factual book, so, so, so when you, how did you research this? Like how did you get started? So it kind of goes back to um, what I was talking about earlier, how I've just kind of been like really trying to figure out my processes and what I do on a regular basis and, and that kind of thing. And um, so the concept behind the book is that, so I run a website called masteryourmix.com and on there I do tutorials and uh, YouTube videos and courses and all that kind of stuff, helping people improve their mixing skills. And basically what happened was a little while ago, I did a survey of, my mailing list and just said, what's the biggest challenge you're facing with when it comes to mixing? And a lot of people were getting back to me basically saying that they weren't finishing their mixes or they were just like, it was just taking them too long to do it because they're becoming so, so frustrated with the process or they didn't know how to use the tools, what to be listening for. um, And they were just like constantly second guessing their skills and feeling like their mixes were like just being blown away by their mixes. Right. So well, there's what so I much to, to choose from. Right? That? There's so much to choose from now. Like, yeah, and, and the problem too, I think, is that along with technology comes like things like plug-in presets, where you know you see like the snare preset, and you put that on your on your mix and hope that it sounds better. Mm-hmm. But people are becoming more and more reliant on that kind of stuff, and they're not really learning how to think about approaching their own song and and how to approach the gear behind it. Right. Yeah. So basically, what I tried to do was realized the process that I was using in my own mixes and I kind of realized that like mixing doesn't need to be so difficult if you do do something the same way every mix. So I realized that like I always had the exact same workflow and like I would organize my sessions a certain way. I would just work in a certain order. I uh, process things a certain way. Like every time I analyzed the tracks in my mix, I had a set list of questions, almost like a mental checklist of the different qualities I was listening for in every Mm -hmm. instrument. 
And so when you can approach it like that and think like, okay, have I covered this? Have I covered that? Then you have like a way to keep track of your work and you have a way to like keep more focused and um, know what moves you need to make next, know when you've kind of covered all the bases and uh, know when you're done, right? Yeah. It helps you work faster too because the problem with a lot of things, with a lot of mixers is that they kind of approach their mix more from the perspective of like, what problems do I hear rather than what do I need to do? Yeah. And, and when you're searching for problems, you'll always find problems. So, you know, I think there's a point where the more and more you keep working on things and the more you keep searching for problems, the, that's like when you start to second guess your work and you start to do things and experiment that like takes away from the magic of your mix. And, um, and so basically what I tried to do with the book was just give people a step-by-step workflow to follow and give people like the mental checklists that I go through with every track, um, help them understand if you, if you're listening for this characteristic and let's say a kick drum, you know, if you, if you, if you, do you hear enough attack in the kick drum? And if you don't, well, then you want to look at these frequencies and boost in here. Or if you're hearing mud, you'll cut in this range, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's almost like a if this, then that. And if you approach your mixes that way, I think it just makes it that much faster and, and just more organized. So that's kind of what I cover in the book and just tr- really trying to give people a process that they can replicate in every mix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you need you need to have a starting point. And uh, I, I find um, because I don't do enough sessions with different bands anymore that I would sort of come to a, a, an aha moment based on what was similar to what I did, but not exactly what I did. Yeah. So if I did something that was like, I don't know, double compressing a kick drum or double compressing the kick snare and then compressing it again through like a, a bus and then folding it back in, that's sort of like, that's a, it's a neat way to get everything to sort of do what you want it to do. But why are you doing it? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't mm. have to be just because, I did that and it worked with this band doesn't mean it's going to work with that band. Yeah. So, and and that's the other thing too, with like YouTube is that a lot of people are learning how to do this stuff as a result of watching YouTube videos. And there's so many videos where people just say like, so here's the mix I'm working on and this is what I did. Mm-hmm. And then people learn by just like copy, like almost like a copycat move of like yeah. replicating those exact same settings. And like, unless you're working on the same session, those same settings aren't going to work for your mix. Yeah. So, yeah. You need to understand why people are doing those things and and like what the thought process is behind it in order to make the moves that work best for your song. Yeah. Yeah, the most the most challenging and fun thing I've done on my own time was I downloaded the multi-tracks to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and I it's a 24-track master that has 24 tracks that don't necessarily the only constant things is the drum kit and one of the pianos and the bass. So that's 12 tracks. The other mm-hmm. 12 tracks are completely all over the place. So you have to split them up somehow because back then they would just take, well, now it's a it's a vocal track and now it's a guitar track. And now it's back to a vocal track. So I start separating them all out into a manageable, di- digestible um, flow. I got 68 tracks going. <laughs> I think you told me about this, actually. It's huge. It's, yeah. It is... I've just recently got back into it. And when I... Like, almost 10 years ago, I found it. And I got it into 47 tracks. But now I'm just like, okay, well, this... And there's certain things that... Now that there's a, a few documentaries out on YouTube, ironically enough, that, dis- <laughs> that dissect that song um, and have interviews with the people, like, um, who, who recorded it. Like, you know, Roy Thomas... Um, 
what's it, Roy Thomas Baker, who who recorded mm-hmm. the the record, and they're mi- remixing it and and they're describing what happened. But there's no way you can like how they did it without automation is just absolutely mind boggling. I think like back then there had to have been a structure to it, you know, like they had to have laid out their tracks a certain way to, to kind of make sense of it. You know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no sense really. If you look at it just the way it is, however they did it, like there was, there was a, you know, they had to go through, apparently they were in the eighth generation of the, of the, of the, of the duplicate of the drum takes of the original takes. And, uh, so that's eight times they had to transfer it into a fresh track because they were wearing the tape out. Took them three yeah. weeks to record one song, <laughs> and uh, the they they had to. Uh, and if you take the drums, the piano, and the bass, and solo it and listen to it, it is how the hell they got that middle part figured out is absolutely dumbfounding. Yeah, he's not even counting. Like you can hear his voice, but he's not counting off. You know all those just operatic parts. It's just happening. Like I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, to, to, to make things easy in recording is, yeah, you know, and for me now that I have my, I have my own studio, I actually like the challenge. I like the fact that I like digging myself into a hole and then being able to find a way to dig myself out. And the fact is because it's usually my own stuff now that I can kind of um, bury myself in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's it's one thing again if it's like your own work and like you you I mean you already know a lot of these things that I cover in the book, you mm-hmm. know, like what to be listening for and all that, right? So yeah, yeah, it it it, it could be transferred to any DAW or any piece of outboard gear. Really, it's just, yeah. you just have to understand like what the tool is and how to use it and what to be listening for, right? Yeah, it's tricky too. Like what I've noticed over the years, especially just with guitars, is sometimes you have to have a little bit of leap of faith in what you're tracking because it does click when it doesn't click you can know it's not clicking but mm-hmm. when especially when you're dealing with just a distorted guitar a distorted guitar if you make it sound like this kick-ass guitar well don't remember remember you got to do it maybe a couple more times and it needs to fit with the whole song so there's always that constant struggle of i think this is going to work out or maybe that's my <laughs> fault maybe that's my shortcoming into not being tom lord algae is to to say like I think this will work, and sometimes yeah, it I, I feel that way about guitars too. I, I always, I always track with the DI on my guitars as well, just for that like last minute ah uh, shit, I gotta <laughs> fix something. Yeah, situation, you know that it happens occasionally. Yeah, I used to track with the pod, a DI, and then a couple of mics, and then I've just been doing this new Fairmounts record, and we're just doing one mic on the on the cabinet. That's it. It's like uh, a record that was going to take two days apparently to record. But we're in our seventh day. Uh, we're <laughs> That's the way it always is. Calculating the hours of how many hours it's taken. It's up to seven days. I, I was just recording a band uh, a couple weekends ago, and we were only doing four songs. And the drummer, it took us like eight hours, like eight hour day to like you know between setup and getting yeah. the songs done, which I thought was fairly normal. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the drummer was like, "Holy shit, man! Like, I honestly thought that I'd be in and out in an hour." <laughs> it's like think about that man like that's yeah. like 15 minutes a song yeah you know <laughs> like, yeah how how yeah you know like there's no way that you were going to play it perfectly on that first first take or two you know and then like get all his tones just magically right and 
yeah. you know, figure tunings and all that, stuff, all that kind of stuff. Like, you have to spend a little bit of time. I recorded one band where we had two days for drums and the guy came in. It was actually uh, this band called Arson. And uh, David Quentin Steinberg used to be in the Dead Boys. And he's, he's, a, he's a lawyer. He's actually Rush's lawyer. And uh, he's a kick-ass drummer. He did all of his drum takes, like 14 songs. He did them in like six hours. All of them. <laughs> and it was great. Like he said, he had two days. So he was like, oh, this is awesome. I can go home now. And uh, But in all honesty, the fixes were had to come through the, with mixing. You know what of I course. mean? Like it felt great until you started like tracking and then you didn't have enough time to like dissect what was going on, you know? And there was one guy in the band who was like, that's perfect. We don't even need to listen to it. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a computer. This, this yeah. might not have recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And every time he'd do a, like a rough uh, guide track, he was like, don't erase that. Like saying stuff like that. I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> he didn't like he didn't last long in the band but uh it was like <laughs> it was a weird thing but it really did click i mean if you listen to that record it's like it sounds like a great live record and i think that's yeah. what uh, you know for me that the trying to determine is this a production record is it a live record these are things that you kind of have to make decisions when the band comes in like is this going to be a production record is it going to be a record that can be played off the floor or gone taken to the stage and mm-hmm. i mean I think I'll put a book out and call it Polish Your Turd. I think I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make the follow-up, spray paint it gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a... Uh, well, I mean, there's a certain amount of trickery in, in studio, um, you know, where the cat's out of the bag. I mean, we can fix anything. We really can. Like, yeah. We can make... We can create wizardry wonders. But... It's it's a tough one. It's a fine line with me now with trying to make things as real as possible um, and make it as as perfect as possible. Like you you, sure. you walk that line. Well, and it really depends on the band too, right? And how good of musicians they are and how well rehearsed they are. Mm-hmm. Like there's some bands that like I, I have had a band come in recently where like the drummer did same thing. He did like 12 drum tracks in eight hours and like crushed it. Mm-hmm. And like that guy practices to a click every day, like religiously. And yeah, he did like one or two takes and that was it. And like, they were perfect, Yeah. but he was prepared, you know, yeah. versus like so many bands that I get in the studio that they, they don't pay attention to what they're playing at practice. They don't practice on their own. Yeah. You know, they're not listening to like when you get two different guitar players in the band, like they're not listening to each other's strumming patterns and like, you know, one person's pushing a note here, but the other guy isn't and that kind of stuff. And like, that's where things get sloppy. So yeah, yeah, know, yeah. That's why you like, you have to spend the time in the studio to really focus in on the part and lock everything down. Well, there's something to be said about buying your own little, your own little sound card and putting it on your own little computer and demoing stuff before you even, even attempt to go commandeer a guy like you or me to record your band. Mm-hmm. You can iron that stuff out. Like, one thing uh, I had a uh, Michael Beinhorn on the show, who is his, his producer, and uh, he 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 offers services where you send demos and he'll give you what you need to do to make that song really work. And it's yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, and and he's like, because pre production is just not it's not a, it's not prevalent anymore. And then, you know, and when we did this Fairmount record, we made a point where we met. And we recorded the stuff off the floor, even whether it was good or bad. And we worked through the stuff, and it really did pay off to get like get back together after three different sessions. We recorded fourteen songs in three separate sessions live off the floor, 
I went right in and bang, bang, bang. And it was like one of those, oh, this is, we haven't done this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the other thing we didn't do the time before is actually play like a band, like be in the room and play as a band, you know, and I had to change everything how my setup was because I wanted to track ghost tracks with them, guide tracks. So I had to have like a whole other rig upstairs because we went to a guy's house and we're like, set it all up. And I, I made my own little satellite stereo like system upstairs so i didn't have to sit in the basement and track with them so we all had eye contact and i mean that's the part that we're kind of we all need to sort of as musicians do more is play like a band mm-hmm. yeah and and just listen to each other like that i mean that that's really what it comes down to mm-hmm. like again going back to my point of just like just there's so many bands that come through that just it's one thing to know your parts really well but it's another thing to know what everyone else's part is too yeah for sure, for sure. Like lock that bass in with the kick drum and like lock the strumming patterns between the guitars and the bass and that kind of stuff. Like those are the things that make a recording sound tight or sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you- and if you don't give yourself enough time in the studio, you're gonna sound sloppy because you're not gonna have these things ironed out. Yeah. It almost makes sense for the band's sake to spend a whole day just knocking it out. Just don't even worry about the recording part. Just mm-hmm. come and just set up a few mics and work it out and listen to what happened and come back a week later after listening mm-hmm. to what you did, it really does pay off. You know, it really does. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So are you, uh, are you playing much these days? I'm not. I, uh, I, I've just started jamming actually. Like I, I haven't played my drums in probably a year, which is really sad because I like playing. Mm-hmm. I, and, um, and just only recently, uh, this band that I had recorded, a couple summers ago they lost their drummer and i was like yeah you know like i'll come jam with you guys i know the songs like mm-hmm. so i've just rehearsed with them in two or three times and who knows where that's gonna lead um but that's been fun mm-hmm. I-, I just love playing and bashing the crap out of the drums yeah um and then actually another band that i just finished recording their drummer can't make a gig so they asked if i could fill in for a gig in at the end of february so i gotta learn some songs but it'll be fun <laughs> actually a band you know Who's that? The hang time, hang time oh, guys. Oh, you're going to play in hang time. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We both work with those, that same band. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So they're, uh, yeah, I mean that, I heard just basically what I heard from those mixes was just what was coming off of your phone. So I haven't heard the record, but it's fantastic. Like, I'll send it to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can beam it over, over the internet. Absolutely. You can't put <laughs> vinyl through the internet. You can't do that. Not yet. You can't. <laughs> one day. One day. You'll be, able a... to, you'll be able to send somebody a 3D printed record. Yeah. Like the files to 3D print the record. That's a good That'll idea. Man, we should probably uh, we should probably lock that in. Probably edit that part out. <laughs> Our million dollar idea. <laughs> Our million dollar idea. Well, actually, there was, I saw on, like, on YouTube where a guy made his own lathe. His own, mm-hmm. uh, where he cut into just like a piece of regular plexiglass, a record. And it was like, that's pretty cool. And it actually sounds pretty good. I mean, obviously it's homemade. Yeah. But that's DIY. That's punk rock as punk gets. There's a guy in Germany who sells lathes and uh, he's got this like proprietary technology and he's like a weird dude, but I know somebody who owns one of his lathes and uh, basically like, yeah, you could just feed it in, like feed the music through your computer into a mixer, which then goes into like the little diamond cutter, um, and then it cuts it into like a plastic record, and they actually sound pretty good. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, with the 3D printer, it'd be kind of neat, but it, they're just not there with the resolution. You know what I mean? But what'd be cool, though, here's an idea. You should actually take a, a picture of a of a record, like really up close, like it'd be either a crucial part of the song, and then it'll actually look, you know, how it looks like the under the sea? Yeah. And then print that and make it like a handheld item. And like, that's the snare hit from <laughs> this one song. <laughs> I actually, speaking of Queen, I found... Fat Bottom Girls, which has one of my favorite drum fills of all time in it. Yeah. It's the very last one going into the last chorus. And I, I found it, and it's not, not the real mix. Like It sounds like it's like made for Guitar Hero or something, but they separated the drum fill from the original drum take. So That's weird. Yeah, you'll hear it. He'll stop for a second, and it's like that big fill. And I was like, how and why is it like this? There's no explanation, obviously, that he really wanted to work on the fill. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. let's give the fill its own track, and it's a stereo track. But uh, I had to find it, and I had to go through Audacity to sort of like, because I haven't used Audacity in like, I don't know how that <laughs> works. It has its own file format. It's like I feel so ghetto by using Audacity. But uh, did you have you ever used Audacity? Like tried I, to? I've maybe used it like once. Ridiculous. Like years and years ago, I think. It's so clunky and weird. And where you can try to get the audio files? No, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't get those. <laughs> yeah, it's really clunky. When still. I first started, I used to just try to experiment with as many programs as possible to figure out what sounded good or what was easy to use. And yeah. Once I discovered Pro Tools and I got deep into that, like. I have a hard time switching to anything else. Did you ever use like Logic? I still do actually have Logic. I, I use Logic for, um, I use Logic for like composing a lot, just because I find the MIDI is pretty good in there. But I honestly only know how to like get MIDI in, and like I don't know how to edit in Logic because I, I just never spent the time to really learn it. Yeah. Like I'll I'll get all the data in, bounce off the track, and then throw it to Pro Tools, and then I'll mix it in there. Um. Yeah, and, and, and oddly enough, I actually do a lot of mastering in Logic for some reason. Wow! Like I find that that just like it goes. My workflow in Logic is so much faster when it comes to mastering. Just like I don't know with the templates, but like I don't really get into like the nitty gritty of like drum editing and all that kind of stuff. With uh, well, Pro Tools wins like hands. Down. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I used Nuendo in the first early part of my recording uh, path, and I used Nuendo one point five. And I started using it around 2003 or 2002. And on, on OS 9, Mac OS 9 on a G3 tower. And um, editing drums was my fucked my wrist up because I was constantly sweeping across to, to grab the what <laughs> I wanted to edit. There was no smart tool or groups. Like you'd have to yeah. select the track. So you'd have to put a dead track in between your bass and your drums so you can actually have enough room to to capture the tracks and then you'd you'd have to hit the scissor tool like you know what i mean like it was like mm-hmm. it was involved and that's then, how i feel i would be if i tried to edit drums in logic today. oh there's got to be a faster way to do it there, there is then. i know there is but like I, I just haven't spent the time on it but in pro tools i can do it no problem with beat detective yeah well that too even if you wanted to nudge stuff even if you just you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you didn't have to yeah i get the you know but what we, we didn't have uh, auto-tune, so... We, no, we had um, Sound Replacer, but we had it on a Pro, a Pro Tools 5? No, Pro to- whatever it was, it was the free version that someone had cracked, and it was on an iMac on the other side of the room, and we ran a, a, an Ethernet cable 
where we'd have to like bounce the track out, the snare track or whatever, and bounce it into Pro Tools and then do Sound Replacer and then sum it out, real-time bounce. Like the song's like three and a half minutes long, so it'd be and then bounce and then fly it back over through Apple Talk. Remember that? <laughs> they had Apple Talk. And this, then, it sounds like the digital version of linking up tape machines. Totally. Yeah, it was great too because it was like, all right, well, we got nothing to do. We got to wait for this thing to go. There was so much more time wasted. And, you know, when things started speeding up and rec- that's probably what got me out of recording bands is things got faster because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we got to wait 20 minutes for this to bounce out, man. Like, hey, man, it's a computer. I can't, you know what I mean? So you could waste 10 minutes just by bouncing a song out and then it would fail or something. Ah, oh, gotta start again. Well, pay by the hour. <laughs> but everything's so fast and efficient now. Like I have a laptop that can record sixty tracks of audio. It's in, it's insane. Where I had a a, a Pro Tool, or I had a Nuendo session that had like four plugins, and it was like tanked, like screwed up, and would like I'd have to like extract everything, you know, and and then try and start again because the track wouldn't, the song wouldn't load. Mm-hmm. Like it was that bad. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, like Pro Tools now has finally done like the offline bounce and like all of the major programs have that ability and like just saves so much time. Mm. Like I remember working at a post-production studio years ago and we would do like full length movies and we'd mix it and then we'd have to bounce it out and we'd have to wait. Like we have to base, I would just sit in the room for two hours watching this movie play back hoping to god that there was not a mistake no crash because then we'd have to start it all over yeah or yeah or if it crashes because then yeah. it's like fuck we got to rebounce this thing and like we lost an hour already you know yeah. like yeah so- <laughs> when i first started doing the podcast i had pro tools 10 and uh, i would like literally the last thing i would do was hit bounce and then go to bed and then i come back the next morning and it'd be done and then i would i would uh i would then upload it to the you know and sometimes it would fail so you're like yeah. oh, okay well you know and that's I mean, are you still in Pro Tools 11? I'm in 2018 now. That's okay. like the new version. And? I like it. Yeah. Although, so I bought, so now like Pro Tools is in the subscription model. So, and you, got, I, so you didn't buy the outright license? I did buy it. So okay, I, yeah. I, I don't like the idea of like the subscription model with Pro Tools. It means you're only I half found, like, into it. Like, yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and I was also like on Pro Tools 10 for like eight years yeah. and liked it. So... I've had no need to like change it monthly. Yeah. Um, and so I did buy the perpetual license and then like the month that it expired, like they came up with this new update and I was like, Oh, like Pro Tools 2018. Like, cool. I'll get that just so I'm at like the most up to date I can be. And, uh, I think at the time there was a couple bugs and I ended up getting those bugs. So like, whatever. I mean, it's fine, but I'm locked into that now and I know the workarounds, but Yeah. Well, when I got a Retina MacBook Pro, Pro Tools 10 was a fucking nightmare because like you couldn't see any drop-down menus, so you'd have to like some. There was a fix, but every time you loaded a session, you'd have to load this fix to get the video to work properly. And uh, even now, I can't do Quick Key because uh, um, I have 11. I can't do Quick Key imports. I have to drag it like a monster, like an animal. I have to drag <laughs> the file into my clips folder. It's re- into my, you know, the clips window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even, sometimes like really don't trust that because if you import it, you know it's coming in. And sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. It'll place it there. And when you bring it into the session, it won't import it. And it's like, there's no explanation as to why. It just decided. So you have to then, um, what is it? Option shift three to make sure it prints it into the, 
audio it's folder. Yeah. It's isn't that crazy how you we're in this age where we can like fly Teslas into space and like <laughs> go to Mars on a on a rover, but we can't import fucking audio files it's properly. It's like it's planned obsolescence. Yeah. Like I I I can't remember how long ago this was, but um for a while, if you used to be able to go to the Avid website, and they actually did advertise. Like, if you bought any of their control surfaces or audio interfaces, they had like a best before date almost mm. on them, and it was mm. on their website. Like, they knew what their release schedule was. They knew that they were going to come out with like the new Mbox or whatever it was, yeah. and they were going to make the old one obsolete. Like, that's crazy to me. So, like, they're clearly thinking ahead, and and they want you to be in that trap. Right? Yeah, they hit a wall a couple of years ago because when they started this whole model, where people were like so mad at pro tools like so angry even myself i was like i even tried like i'll just use reaper and i don't care because <laughs> i don't care about software but then they got me back you know and i used to get the um the uh, educational because i worked at a university and i'm still now considering but i am in a weird hardware loop now because i have a 2015 macbook pro that the newest version of the OS, so that there's a specific OS that 12 runs from, and I don't, it won't run on this. And I went through that change a couple of years ago. It needs it to be a big change, like, right? Like, you have to, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, especially going from Pro Tools 10 to 12, because yeah. then you have the, uh, you lose the RTAS plugins, and now yeah. everything is like AAX. Yeah. And- well, like I said, I'm still on 11, so I have all the AAX stuff, like, okay. and it seems to be working okay. But uh, to me, it's like, I'd love to have 12 because I'd love to see, just for the sake of being able to see my, a compressor on my channel, like for some reason, that just excites me, <laughs> you know, or being able to have different modes of, of um, um, metering and things like that, like things that we don't really have in 11, like, but they kind of get you, you know what I mean? Like, and it's sort mm-hmm. of like, and I've just upgraded every piece of hardware over the past two years, even like save a few mics. Everything has been completely replaced. So, I'm okay for now. <laughs> Until the next like eight years from now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my even my laptop is starting to show signs that it needs to have a battery placed in it, and and it's only three and a half, four years old. The computer before I had before that lasted from 2009 to 2015. That's yeah. a long life, man. Like it paid itself back twenty times easily mm-hmm. just from income from recording bands. I can't say the same thing with this one, but. It's it to me. It's like you. I always used to laugh when I started updating stuff real fast, like twenty, fifteen years ago, whatever. Like, oh, like that old man still running OS nine. You know what I mean? Look at that guy. <laughs> he can't get into OS ten. What a dinosaur! And now I'm like, I'm that dinosaur. I'm the guy that's like, everything works. I'm totally the same. I'm fine. It's because because whenever I try to upgrade something, that's when something goes wrong. Yeah, when it's your like, dollars and cents, there's no like I'm gonna put it on this hard drive and see what happens for a while. You, you know what I mean? Like you can't do that. Nobody, really, you could, but nobody has the insight to really do that. You know? Yeah, and it's especially difficult if you're working on a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the last thing you want to do is just completely lose everything. Or, like obviously, back up everything as much as you can, but you know, like I, I I'm in the middle of session now and like i'm getting these notifications that there's a new melodyne out and like that works so different than the old version and i'm like oh i really want it but 
I probably shouldn't. Yeah, but what if you need to do a recall on your old session that comes back? Well, that's the thing. Like, I've already upgraded Melodyne once, and yeah. like it totally didn't work with my old sessions yeah. when I got the newer version. So yeah, I'm afraid to upgrade it. But I, I want it. I've somehow <laughs> managed to drop all the MIDI instruments in my Pro Tools. <laughs> like I have nothing. I have nothing. They they they, they didn't come with any, or because like, I don't have I don't have anything. I don't have structure anymore. I don't have any MIDI. And it's like, well, why? How did that? You know what I mean? I didn't upgrade anything. Like when I first installed, I installed all the stuff in it, but for some reason, there's no MIDI in anymore. My favorite plugin that I ever lost was the Cosmonaut Voice. Oh, plugin. I think I still got that. I don't want to stop. I love anymore. that. Beep up. We're just bleeped at the end. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> randomly. You always had to like audio suite it and then cut out that little beep at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I uh, what I had a a a, a plugin. Uh, f- I f- had it now. I forgot what it was called, but it was uh an impulse response reverb plugin that came with a side app where you could actually r- read the room that you're in, and it mm-hmm. ran a tone through the speakers, and from there it read. I think it was called Oratone or something. Not Oratone. It had God damn, it was how soon we forget. It's on this computer back there. But I read the rooms that I would record in and it would be really close. Like the reverb, like would you play back and it had all these crazy reverb chambers from all over the world. Like it had like uh, where uh, in uh, cello studios it had their echo chamber that like the drum takes for God only knows was recorded through. You know what I mean? So you'd, and you'd hear like this, like this, this reverb that came out of a room. And you could sample your own sound, which I thought was cool. And it was always being updated. So, fuck, what was it called? There was one called TL Space. No. I I had that, and that did it something similar. No, I can't even open up a computer and see. It started with an A. But then... The like I I bought like the version that came with uh, and then just had a cutoff point. It only worked for our tasks, and that was the that was the saddest day when I went to like Pro Tools Eleven. I was like, oh, <laughs> I got no plugins anymore. But I do have the Abbey Road Waves Plate Suite. That's pretty cool. Which is pretty damn sweet. Like mm-hmm. I'm okay now. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, some pretty good reverb sounds on this board too. I, I was using that a few times for just returning reverb through. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. So you got anything ba- anything big coming up? You got any big announcements? Are you still uh, doing your podcast, right? I'm still doing the podcast. I've kind of fallen a little bit behind on some episodes, but you've had some cool people up. on it, man. There's like, been some rad people on there. It's it's amazing, like when you reach out to people who will respond to you sometimes. How do you but, do it? Because I've tried to meet meet people, and they're like, meh. <laughs> I I don't know. I I mean. You've had some really cool guests on your show, so I, cool I imagine yeah, I've you got some people. leverage. I just surprised though, like some people who will talk to me, which I think you know what I mean. Like uh, I had the guy who, who created QLab, which is like the largest theater software company in the world, and mm-hmm. he's like telling me like I got eighteen people to work with me, <laughs> like, eighteen <laughs> people in Baltimore that made this super cool software, you know? Yeah, and he's just like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I just love like it's the same thing with your show. I just love talking to people and like learning from other people. And and uh, for people who are listening to this, I also have I have a podcast called the Master Your Mix podcast. Just keep that that brand going. Just constant brand going on there. Just gotta get that brand going. You know, keep it just a continuity there. And I think I forgot to mention the name of the book when we were talking about that. No, you didn't. I think you said what what it was called. Yeah, yeah, you did. Say it again. Called the Mixing Mindset: The Step by Step Formula for Creating Professional Rock Mixes from Your Home Studio. Really long title. It is a long title. (laughs) 
if you just look up the mixing mindset that you'll find it on yeah, amazon yeah. and on my website a top seller by the way it, it became a bestseller this week it's amazing insane like did not expect that yeah it's it's an interesting concept that you you know you've 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 played music your whole life and you've you know tried to make a go out of it and then something just clicks yeah I, I don't know it's just been it's been a wild ride with that yeah um but yeah so i got the podcast going uh i've got i've got a couple episodes lined up and i just got to record them so I don't want to name names in case they drop off. And yeah, I hear you. That episode doesn't happen, but yeah, um, yeah, we've had some cool people. Had some cool people. Um, had like David Bottrell, Mark McCleskey, Nick Raskalinitz, Sylvia Matt, Sylvia Massey. Like some pretty cool people. Like yeah. I just love talking to people, right? I love like just shooting the shit, and that's that's why I like built my website in the first place. Was I just love talking about gear and like helping people out and learning from other yeah. people, and so the podcast was just a good extension for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you talking about it before, like, because I just sort of started it and you're like, yeah, it sounds like fun. And, uh, you know, to, to just to get started is always daunting. You know what I mean? Like, we, when I started the podcast, it was sort of like, I just did it because I thought it'd be challenging. And then I, once I put it out and it was on the on Apple to uh, iTunes, I'm like, holy shit, I actually have to do this now. Like, yeah, actually, <laughs> holy shit. You're consistent with yours, though. Like, how pretty many episodes consistent. do you have now? I have 200. This is 216 now. That's amazing. It's pretty cool, right? A lot of time. I'm at like 27. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like honestly, when you put it out, there's always there's there's it's a neat episode. You know what I mean? Like I do a lot of. I mean, like I was thinking about going two a day, but I'd have to retire from my work to be able to do two mm-hmm. two a week. I mean, uh, to do two a week would be like I don't know how some people do it. Like they just, you know what I mean? Like they must. That's all they do, right? You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had friends ask me, like, "Hey, would you mind producing a podcast for me?" I'm like. I just don't think I have the time, like without putting yeah. the energy into it. I, my own thing would slip, and then I would have very upset children and wife, and they it's would. A lot of work. It is a, a lot, lot of work, work goes into it. Like, it, I, I mean, I don't know how much you edit your podcast, but if you get really into the nitty gritty of it, like it could take you a while. Yeah, I only try to make myself sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> like at the start, when I say "oh my ah," that's all gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's if anyone works. listens to this podcast and then listens to mine, <laughs> you'll notice like an infinite number of ums and ahs and uh, I whatever, do. like all that stuff in Europe in the episode <laughs> I'm doing right now. Truthfully, though, I really only do the first four minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because once they're you're in, you're in. I mean, I do it for like because sometimes we have a really good internet connection right now, but sometimes it's like two or three seconds before it gets replied back. But mm-hmm. uh, this is like a really, really solid uh, communication, actually. I'm trying to get the guy who is the head of marketing for this company, appear.in, to come on the show because he used to be the vice president of marketing for MySpace. What? Yeah. He used to Tom? work. No, it's not Tom. <laughs> not Tom, but he probably knows Tom. He probably knows Tom. Yeah, yeah. We, so we were driving by this one pub and... Um, and went with my wife Spring, and I pointed at that pub. I goes, "That's the first place I ever heard of Facebook." Because as I was walking in, I heard two dudes talking about Facebook, and I'm like, "What the fuck is Facebook?" Do you remember that? Like when f- Facebook first came? Well, obviously you do, but yeah, yeah. Like, do you remember like signing up for it for the first time? I do, I do. I remember that. I'm like, this is a lot like there's a lot like MySpace, but MySpace was funny because you used to be able to like make your own different accounts. Like I made one for Hitler for some reason. <laughs> You know, and then oh. and then Satan, <laughs> Satan was my friend. So I would make friends with other fake people on my. On oh, to have them in your top nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
so and Saddam Hussein was my friend. So I had all these weird war that criminals. Is horrible. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> People must have thought you were like the most like horrendous human being just no, for being they didn't know because people. some people would be like they get the they get the humor of it all because we were way more ironic back then it's true mike true true <laughs> way more ironic <laughs> i love you don't worry i don't think you're that that there you're yeah, a bad yeah. person that's fine but I, yeah i totally remember signing up for facebook for the first time and i remember it actually denied me when i first tried because it said i was too old for facebook wow look at us now was- because because back then, like they only had so many schools registered, right? So you had to be like part of a certain registered school in order to actually get on. And I was in college at that time. What and year was this? Like two thousand and five or six or something, right? Something like that. Probably two thousand five, maybe. Because yeah. uh, I remember, like my high school was registered, but my college wasn't. And so I tried to say that I went to my high school to get on, and then I had to enter my age. And it's like, no, nah, you're you're too old for Facebook. Really. Yeah. Now you're the right demo. Yeah. Now I'm like perfect. My son says that Facebook's for old people. Yeah. There's so many other things out there. Snapchat. I don't get the Snapchat because I, I called I it the I Snapchat. Snapchat. I called it the Snapchat. <laughs> All the Pinterest. when you add a the to yeah. something, it just instantly yeah. ages you. That's irony. <laughs> That's I being ironic too. I, the, the Facebook. The other thing, the Facebook. I uh, I have uh, Pinterest, and I keep getting updates this might tie into my horribleness but my updates are like of john jfk or john, john kennedy john kennedy jack kennedy kennedy's and formula one car crashes that's it that's if, all you get on pinterest? all i get on pinterest on on the pinterest on the pinterest <laughs> and i have no idea like the formula one car crashes is like why did you think that i want to look at car crashes I don't know how you how to use Pinterest. So like I somebody somebody sending these things to you. I don't, well, this Pinterest, is where I age myself. In Pinterest this show. sends it to me through my email because I wanted to find. I tell you, if you want to find a great gig post, like gig like poster, go to Pinterest. There are some kick ass kick ass pictures of things. Like I got one. There's a guy riding a, a dirt bike like around a dirt track and his, his, his number is number 13 and he's doing a double flip the finger as he's riding around the corner. I'm like, how rad for an album cover or for like a, a gig poster would that be? Like the best, right? New Fairmounts cover. There you go. Two day record. <laughs> yeah, two day record. Two day record. Left and right. Yeah, left fingers. and right finger. <laughs> it's, uh, somebody might put a cease and desist on that, but it doesn't even look treated. It looks real, like legitimately. It's my favorite picture of 2018. I tell you what, it's amazing. But, uh, but yeah, Formula One car crashes and the Kennedys. Interesting. Nothing else. Nothing else. You must have looked at something to do with one of those things, or both. Well, of those I think I started getting into the. Well, I think I started the rabbit hole with the 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 assassination or or the you know you know Lee Harvey Oswald and the Magic Bullet and all that stuff. But but that's it. That's all it knows. And somehow it sort of equated into Formula One car crashes. Maybe because it needs two things. Like, well, he's looking at JFK. Maybe yeah, car crashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, those those websites know everything you do, and they can like. It's creepy. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Like we're in a weird world now, where if you search anything or talk, we're talking about stuff right now. Chances are your phone's listening to you, and it's going to find like we're we're not that far away. 
where things are going to be like, and I'm not a conspiracy, that conspiracy minded, but it's going to start listening to you. Like Google Home already does it. When you say, hey, Google, find me something, it, it knows that you've been looking for it. You know, like mm-hmm. we're very, very close to being in a very scary world. It's, it's a blessing and a curse for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great when, great when you want to know something. Bad when you're subliminally being told to like something. Yeah, there's the line for sure. Like I'm, I'm convinced though. If you put like a, I want to do this experiment. Someone is welcome to do it for me though. But um, you just put your phone or any phone in a room and just put like horrible things on a speaker just on a loop <laughs> into the phone, and then see how fucking dirty that phone's gonna be. <laughs> all the shit that's gonna come up on it. Let's see if that proves the point of that. That's actually listening to you. You know what I mean? Like ISIS bombs, you know, like all this horrible stuff. And then to see if like the first thing you do is a CIA warning that you're on, <laughs> you're being watched. <laughs> you, you, you'll go to board an airplane and they're like, yeah, uh, yeah. Simon, uh, step you over here. Yeah. ISIS. My buddy, Jason Tate from the weaker Thans, I'm going to, I'm going to throw his name out there right after nine 11, he searches like on the internet on how to build a bomb. <laughs> The worst timing the worst for that. Worst timing, and 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 uh, he got a fl- he got flagged. Like he's like, listen, like th- you can't, you know what I mean? Like he got reported, and somehow wow. they they caught up with him and said, you can't, you can't do that. Don't look for bombs. Like we're watching you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, yeah yeah? So you're playing some drums. You're putting out the podcast. Yeah, I got some gigs coming up and yeah. working on some podcasts and really just trying to get this book out there and uh, just working on more mixing and just really just trying to keep my feet wet as much as I can. Do you like mixing more or tracking more? I like mixing more. Really? Because I hate yeah. mixing. I hate it. Send me your work, then, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate I, I, it. I, I, like, so I like tracking because I get to use all of the toys that I have and yeah. that I've collected over the years. Um, and I, there's something that I find really gratifying about miking up drums. Yeah, like I, I just love doing that because I am a drummer. So, like, yeah, I understand the the complexity of it, and I enjoy that challenge. But uh, but then once I get them all mic'd up, it's like. You know, I hope I have good players and I hope I have good people in the room and mm-hmm. most of the time I do, but I don't know. I I just like I like being in my own world sometimes and just working on my own stuff and Yeah. Where See, it's like I am a little bit more controlled with my environment and and my process. I'm scared to mix cuz it's like it's so final. As soon as it's done, that's it. There's no more you can do with it. Mastering is equally as terrifying. Like it 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 it, it finalizes and puts a head on it and you know, it's a very difficult thing to to fix when if something isn't mixed right or if something doesn't turn out right. And you know, I made a big investment on speakers, so I actually have way better sounding speakers than I had, and I still have my Elisis speakers back there holding something up. But I got you know, I got a powered subwoofer and some good speakers to listen to, and now I can listen to it at all various volumes. And that's a big tricky big thing. Like I feel more confident of what is going to sound good outside of this room. But it took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time to get there. It's just a matter of like, and this is one of the things that I talk about in the book is that like, especially whenever you get like new monitors, yeah, you really have to learn them. Right. And so like using reference tracks when you work is like enormous, you know, listen to something that sounds like what you're working on and try to match the overall frequency balance. Don't try to get the tones the same. Cause yeah, 
let's say you have the same guitar, same amp, and same room and mics and all that kind of stuff, you're never going to get that. But yeah, you know, if you can get the overall frequency balance between the highs and the lows and the mids, you know, it'll yeah, it will translate much easier, right? Well, the trickiest is low end because if you don't have it under control and your speakers don't let you know that it's out of control, then you got a shitty mix. You know, no matter mm-hmm. what it sounds like in here, and if you don't, and if you listen to things too loud, it, it can really affect what's happening with the speakers. If you drive drive the speakers too hard, so it's always good to listen at various volumes. Mm-hmm. But I always get confused then. So put headphones on, put speakers on, change yeah. the speakers up. It's like now I have too much perspective, or play it through your phone. You know, I guess the me the big the big benchmark is if I can hear everything on my phone. You know what I mean? Then think I'm pretty close. Yeah, but you also probably know your phone really well now. Like as weird as that is to say, you know, it's like if you if you listen to your favorite song in your car and it sounds amazing and and nice and full and everything, and then you put it on your studio monitors and all of a sudden there's no bass and everything sounds thin. If you try to get that bass to come out of your speakers, then like chances are when you bring it back to your car, you're gonna have way too much bass now because your speakers just aren't meant to handle the low end that way you yeah know? yeah well the tricky part too with digital recording is transparent low end like you know what i mean like you're trying to get it so it's just there i always find that very difficult but i mean i'm getting better at it i mean like to mm-hmm. me it's like it's taking a step back from me is easier to learn things than it is to keep with it and trying to in, invest time on something like i, I kind of think of like golf you play too much golf, you're not going to be a good golfer unless you play every day for a long, long time, and then eventually you're going to be a better golfer. But I always, I'm a better golfer when I don't play golf all the time because you don't have old habits. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. This is really well, it's easy. Just, you're, you're probably more methodical in what you're doing, right? Yeah. If you played golf every day and thought about your every move just as intense, just as intense as you would when you play once every few months, like mm-hmm. you'd probably be really good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But 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 your mind can like same thing. Like there's there's a neat it's a neat um uh anal- I mean analogy there because if you're thinking too hard about what you're trying to make step out of these speakers, then generally, I don't know. It's it's tough to sort of it's tough to sort of manifest it all into something that makes it easy to do. So, so when you, when you, when you do too much of something and you don't, you just step into a, like a, an autopilot, then generally you might be missing out on something. I, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it also just comes back to what I was saying earlier about just like, if you're, if, if you're just searching for problems in your mix, then yeah. you're going to create problems. And like, like a great story that I just heard last week was, um, they were talking about, when Michael Jackson was, they were mixing Billie Jean. And um, the story goes that, I think it's, what's his last name? Is it Bruce Sweden? Sweden? I can't remember his last mm. name. The the mixing engineer. Yeah. Anyway, they were, they were working on Billie Jean. And he's telling the story in this video I saw where he says, you know, like, we get the mix done. And then Michael was always like, yeah, that was great. But can you fix this one little thing? Whatever, right? And so they go back over it and make another mix. And then he'd have something else to talk about. And like he was just searching for things, right? And they got up to mix number ninety-one of <laughs> Billy Jean. And like they're just spending days on this thing. And then Quincy Jones comes into the studio one day and he's like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? Still working on this song? Like 
you've been at this for days. Like, mm-hmm. let me hear this masterpiece you've got. And they play him take number 91. And, and he's like, okay, this is pretty good. Now play take two or like mix number two. <laughs> and they play that and they're all just like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, and that ended up being what made it on the record. And it's just because like, you know, if you if you keep overworking yourself and like losing perspective of what you're doing, that's when things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a that's a, yeah, it's a neat concept, a good way to end it, too, because it's, it really does. It does encompass a lot about kind of what we do here, you know, and uh, sometimes the simplest you're right. The simplest way of uh, approaching it is. With clear ears, you know, without trying to. Yeah, I know, man. I, I, it's so easy. It's it's weird not being neurotic and being a recording engineer. It's just to me, it doesn't. Those things kind of somehow go hand in hand. <laughs> well, that, that's why, like, I that's why I've always just tried to, or at least more recently, tried to just really focus on building like a a workflow that I always do, mm. so that at least at the end of that workflow, I can be like print, and I can like say I'm done with it. And feel confident knowing that I like went through this mental checklist of all these things I got to go through. And like, I've done that. Mm -hmm. So anything beyond that is probably me just going over my work, trying to find problems. And and that's probably going to end up with something that's worse, you know? Um, So yeah, I mean, yeah, don't overthink it, but also just be analytical about it to some degree. I, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for doing the show. No worries, man. That was awesome. And that was Mr. Mike Indovina. Good episode. Good times. Good dude. Thanks for doing the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for shopping on Amazon. You too can support the show by going to appalock.ca slash Amazon or appalock.ca slash use Amazon. And every time you shop on Amazon, you'll be supporting the show. Thank you so much for doing that. Whoever's done it, thank you. Thanks to patrons. Thanks for becoming a patron. And you too can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash appalock. And yeah, that's all this Let's not try to sell anything else. Go pick up Mike's book, though. I'll put the link in the description. You can go pick up the book. And, uh, and it's on Amazon. It's a bestseller. Cool. Awesome. Okay. All right. Have a good week. Have a good good time and what you know it's been really busy for me i'm just squeaking this episode out now late on a monday usually comes out early on a monday so here we go another episode coming to you next week thanks so much for listening to the show every time i really appreciate it thank you so much we'll see you again have a good week bye